0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the ninth episode of MTG Fast Finance for the week of March 20th, the podcast that brings you magic related financial information without pissing off a vampire of infinite power. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, a.k.a. Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering.
1: Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here. Uh, Looking forward to all of our discussion today, including some Magic the Gathering Shadows of Innistrad spoilers. This show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby.
0: So we should probably point out, Travis, before you break down the segments, then before people get too excited that we don't actually have our own spoilers. We're not that cool yet, Uh, (laughs) but we will be going over other people's spoilers in detail. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Great. So why don't you uh, break down the segments we do have for people today, Travis?
1: sure well today is a showing three segments Uh, the first departure from our standard formula the first segment is top movers where we will look at the cards that have seen the greatest growth over the last week segment two is our cards to watch where james and i will share cards that we have our eyes on as potential uh, money-making ventures and segment three will be spoiler discussion where we will look at the existing spoilers no new ones that are out there for Shadows of Innistrad and talk about what they might mean for our wallets. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right in, James. I will uh, I will let you start off our segment one this week, Top Movers.
0: So Legion Loyalist foils have been on the move for a little while now and saw another bump this week. Um, this is the Goblin at a Gate Crash that uh, helps your 8-whack deck uh, get to work in a hurry. Uh, started the week at around 9 or $10, finished at around 18 for about 100% gain. Um, that's a, a very nice price appreciation if you happen to have any of those lying around and probably a good time to be getting out.
1: Yeah, and astute listeners will notice that we had the non-foil version of this card uh, as a discussion last week. So it looks like we saw the non-foil move and then shortly thereafter the foil moved along with it, which is pretty common when you see these types of spikes where the non-foil sells out and then people eventually buy the foils as well.
0: Pretty much any goblin that's two casting costs or less and playable as a four of is something worth paying attention to long term. Uh, We're seeing that unfold as goblins uh, starts to become uh, a reasonable budget option in modern. Mm -hmm. Yep.
1: And uh, yeah, again, with that goblin ringleader, not ringleader, warchief something Goblin something promo coming up for FNM, uh, you might see some renewed interest in that tribe. Uh, okay, so next up we have Asceticism, which is from Scars of Mirrodin. Again, we're looking at the foil copy, which has jumped from 11 to $24 for about 120% jump. Uh, people that have been watching casual cards for a while now will recognize Asceticism as one of those cards that nobody realizes is worth any money. But secretly, is nobody realizes it's worth how much it is. Non-foil copies, I think, are hanging around 8 bucks right now, uh, which catches people by surprise the first time they hear it. And it looks like foils this week probably finally sold out, and we've seen a, a relisting at a much higher price point. Not too surprising. This is one of those cards. that just drains to the attrition of time, and then finally it sells out, and then somebody relists at a much higher point.
0: Well, I mean, currently I can only find a couple of copies online anywhere. Um, so so far, those people have control of the situation. Um, kind of card that you're really only going to need if you're fooling around in EDH, um, where this card is a uh, is a relatively common sub staple. Um, but otherwise, you can uh, safely move out of these, uh, given the price appreciation, and trade into something you need for uh, a deck in Modern or Standard.
1: Yeah, and after a price increase like this, this is especially the type of card I like to get away from because I don't want to be caught with my pants down when they reprint it someplace.
0: Exactly. So next on our list this week, we have Drana, Liberator of Malakir, a uh, uh, much-hyped mythic uh, creature, 2-3 flyer uh, with first strike that places counters on all of your attacking creatures. Um, when she deals damage. She was uh people were pretty excited about this card when BFZ was uh when she was spoiled for BFZ uh, in the fall. Uh, the way that standard was uh structured with the three and four color land bases, um a double cast and cost black card just never really found uh a home. Uh the aggro decks were mostly operating on the ground last season. But uh there's a lot of hype going on uh, based on the black red vampires uh, card strength in Shadows over Innistrad and uh, hype surrounding that has driven Drana to new heights, moving her from $8 to 18 this week $10 gain or
1: 125%. Yeah, and again, people who have been paying attention will have noticed that Risen Executioner saw a pretty healthy price increase a week or two ago after Relentless Dead was spoiled, and now this week after we got several good vampires, Drana has similarly spiked. So we're seeing the resurgence of old tribes, or I should say returning tribes, pushing banner cards of those type uh, that are still legal and standard to new price points, uh, which is something we'll definitely want to keep an eye out for going forward. Um, you know, these tribe, these tribal plants... Uh, are always going to be worth looking at, worth buying into ahead of a set with a large tribal theme, same tribal theme. Um, speaking of tribes, next up is Mayor of Averbrook. Uh, we're looking at the pack foil copies from Innistrad specifically, but I wouldn't be surprised to see growth across this card in general. Uh, came into the week around $5, currently at 12 for about 140% gain. He is a werewolf lord. He, uh, he pumps all your guys. And when he flips over, he starts, he starts producing more werewolves. Um, he was reasonably popular the first time we were around Innistrad. He wasn't good, but he was popular and he's never been bulk. There's always been a contingent of fans. People have been waiting for uh, a legendary werewolf for quite some time, which I'm expecting we'll see somewhere within this block, uh, and I guess uh, humans is also showing up occasionally in modern right now as a foil to Eldrazi. So, you know, between the the use as a, a metagame foil in modern and the popularity of the returning human slash werewolf tribe, I'm not surprised to see this on our list.
0: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the the fact that Mayor of Averbrook actually pumps humans is how we ended up in the green-white uh, anti-Eldrazi humans deck um along cards like uh Gavany Riders. Who knows if that deck has any legs once the Eldrazi Menace is over with, but that, that certainly has contributed to the spike on this card this week.
1: Hmm. I, I remember liking Gavany Riders at some point in the past. I don't I don't remember what format that was, but I've definitely thought about that card before. Uh, what's next? So
0: Triskalion, and we're talking about the original antiquities uh black border edition here moved from $20 to about 45 this week for 135% gain uh this is the original printing as i said it's probably a card that is uh seeing some speculation due to old school magic and the uh proliferation of speculation on old cards that are unlikely uh to be reprinted in general um you know not a whole lot to see here unlikely that many of you have these lying around, but if you do, uh, a reasonable exit point, if you can take it.
1: Yeah, I feel like a broken record at this point. Every time one of these antiquities or legends cards lands on our list, we never really have anything particularly compelling to say, just, hey, these old cards are all are all viable targets, and we could see any of them fall any particular day, uh, which leads us directly into our next card, which is Rolling Dervish from Legends, the Legends printing specifically. Jumped from two and a quarter to 550, looking at just under 150% gain there. Um, Same principle old card, original printing, black border, uh, low supply, not many near mint copies floating around out there. So, does not take much to move the needle on these guys.
0: Exactly. Um, So, also Hall of Gemstone, uh, an enchantment from Mirage, moving from $1.25 to $5 this week for a 300% gain. Um, almost certainly because it happens to be on the reserve list and people are continuing to corner the market on those cards.
1: The, the one thing I can say for Hall of Gemstone that I can't say about Whirling, Dervish, or Triskelion is at least the card has a utility and that it is extremely frustrating to play against in EDH where it can lock your multicolored opponents out of casting uh, a large portion of their spells every turn. So if you're playing Mono Green, this is a pretty good gotcha card uh, probably not going to make you very many friends at the table, but the power level is there. So at least I understand where the, uh, the utility of this card comes from.
0: Yeah. For, for folks that aren't aware, um, hall of gemstone is one and two green for an enchant world during each player's upkeep. That player chooses a color until end of turn. Each mana producing land produces mana of the chosen color instead of its normal color. Hence Travis's comment about locking people out.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay, James, go ahead and do the honor. What is our our biggest gainer this week?
0: Well, uh Scout's Warning from Future Sight is one of a long line of Future Sight rares to see a price spike um in this case from a dollar to $5 for a 400% gain. Mostly this was seems to be predicated uh on low supply, supply and speculation. Um but I hear tell that the, at least one of the people that was trying to buy the card out was trying to shop it around at a GP recently and was basically stonewalled by the vendors. Um, so uh, a cautionary tale for those who are trying to convert quickly when buying out cards, um, you, you may run into resistance if uh, no deck is on the horizon to justify the cost change.
1: Yeah, we actually chatted about this briefly on Cartel Aristocrats, which is the video casts I do with uh, lengthy Zemet. Zemet Sells Magic, uh, Doug Johnson, uh, Jim Casale, those guys. Um, and that's where the story came from. Was was Jeremy had witnessed these people, uh, this guy unable to solve those scouts warnings. Um, and th- this is a curious story, uh, or or at least a per- or my perception of the story, in that you know scouts warning was a is a low supply rare. Again, it's from Future Sight, and there's definitely casual demand for this type of card. Uh, in fact, those of you that were playing back two core sets ago, maybe. Will recall that green instant that does essentially the same thing. Um, it allowed you to play one of your creatures, I think, what was it, with Flash. It couldn't be countered and it got a 1 1 counter when it resolved or something Correct. like that. Yeah, yeah. For one green. Um, but sa- I don't remember. Sa- if it drew savage your Summoning,
0: or not. I believe you're talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. I mean, that came out at like $8 or something. Uh, and it dropped pretty, ha- pretty hard, but there was a lot of uh, excitement about that card um and not i did not see a single finance writer or competitive player talking that card up this was not tournament players who were thinking about that card being viable this was pure specul- um casual demand so there's definitely a a, a precedent for um people enjoying this type of card. So when we have one that's very old with very low supply, it's again probably one of these cases where there might have been 100 copies on the market and then you see copy after copy slowly get chipped away until there's 10 left and somebody realizes that they can finish it off. Um, so even though this looks like kind of like a buyout, it looks like a speculator trying to move the market, um, it's very unlikely that they did that without any sort of actual demand profile behind the card.
0: Yeah, Scout's Warning is uh, instant for one white. The next creature card you play this turn can be played as though it had flash and uh, draw a card. So it's basically like the quicken for creatures. Um, Mm -hmm. And you can certainly see how casuals might find that interesting um, to fool around with. There's a bunch of interesting combos that can be achieved with cards like this. Um, But I have a feeling we will see the price of this card settle. significantly lower than it's sitting right now, probably in the $3 to $4 range until somebody comes up with a, a use that gets widely publicized.
1: Yeah, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Um, all right, so let's move on. Segment two, cards to watch. Uh, James, I'm going to let you lead off here. What have you got for us this week?
0: Well, I've got a, a, a two new picks and an old pick. Um, today, um, new in the sense that these are Shadows of Innistrad cards that uh, have barely even hit the market uh, for pre-order and are uh, whose pricing is not even well established, but whose trajectory seems relatively predictable um, in the long term. So the first uh, on my list is uh, a new zombie uh, that was revealed today um, by a German magic site that uh, the creature goes by the name of Diagraph Colossus. It's two in a black. It is creature type zombie, as I said. Diagraph Colossus enters the battlefield with a plus one plus one counter for each zombie in your graveyard, and whenever you cast a zombie spell, put a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token onto the battlefield tapped. Um, this seems like a fantastic long-term casual card for zombie decks, um, the kind of thing that can leverage a whole bunch of other synergies in the tribe, um, and Because we haven't seen a really strong zombie offering yet in in Shadows over Innistrad, and that could change as as more cards are revealed. Um, But given the level, the number of premium quality rares and mythics that have been revealed thus far, I suspect that this card during peak supply will fall down into bulk rare status and will be available for a dollar or even less. And by midsummer in the lulls, you might be able to pick these up at 50 cents to a dollar um my target on the card out 2 to 3 years is something like $5 for you know a 3 or 400% gain confidence level on that is a 7 out of 10
1: uh, this is an interesting card uh an interesting pick when i saw the card the very first thing i thought was man i have to make room for this in my Sidisi deck um my Sidisi edh deck and uh, a friend of mine pointed out to me that you can play you uh, turn one grave in modern turn one grave crawler Turn two, Nantuko Husk, and then turn three, this guy. uh, That sets you up to sack the Gravecrawler to Husk to give the Husk 2 2, who's also a zombie, by the way. And then you pay one black to return the Gravecrawler, who then you can sack again. So it becomes pay one black, get a 2 2 zombie token, and pump Husk by plus two plus two. So uh, good enough for competitive modern? Eh, Probably not, but uh, interesting the way that that card works with Gravecrawler, um, Sacrifice Outlets, and maybe some other zombies that are out there
0: well i would think bloodstained champion too right because uh he can also be sacked and then returned during combat so
1: there's uh, B- B- bloodstained Th- champion
0: that's the uh rotating cons of tarkir card two yeah although lap. he's not a zombie i think he is a zombie actually
1: blood soaks champion
0: blood soaks champion yes.
1: yeah it's a human warrior oh my mistake yeah yeah it's all right I'm- whatever um, okay. So my first pick is, uh, is one that I mentioned on Twitter a few days ago. It is back and call back slash slash call from dragon's maze. Uh, I'm giving this a confidence level of six out of 10, uh, a little on the lower side than the normal, but, uh, I picked these up at about 40 cents a piece, I think between 35 and 45 cents or so. Um, and I'm looking to get out around $5, uh, possibly more, which would represent a huge, a huge boost if we can get there. Uh, my reasoning behind this is that Glimpse Unthinkable uh, is banned and in Modern, and that is started out banned and is a huge part of the strength of Elves, uh, at least in Legacy, um, and has proven Elves has done very well with that card in other formats. I think the Old Extended uh, did use it as well. And the card is just phenomenal. Uh, Beck is mostly a worse glimpsey, Unthinkable. Uh, it trades, it, it counts creatures coming into play under your opponent's control, uh, which is better, although it costs a blue mana, which is really the stumbling block that this card has experienced so far, I think. It's just the mana. Uh, I know Matt Nass and uh, Raptor, jo- Joseph, Joe, not Joseph, uh, Josh Leighton showed up to one of the, I think, GP Detroit with an Elves build using Beck, um, and they had a, what was it? Forbidden Orchard, which I thought was pretty cute because you tap Forbidden Orchard for mana and then that puts a token in the play under your opponent's control, which triggers your back. So it's like a, a free, free draw when back is resolved. Um, but but it, what I might, what I find interesting there is you have pros that are showing up to Grand Prix with a card in their deck. So they're trying it and looking for a way to make it work, and they think it's worth playing with. And V was playing it on uh, on his stream recently as well. So the card's gotten some attention lately. It's a really powerful combo piece. We are now getting far enough away from the Ravnica block and Dragon's Maze especially that I think those cards are starting to really develop the ability to spike in price in a way they might not have been able to a year after that set rotated um, it's entirely possible that the cards to make Beck good are not legal in modern yet then they, they just might, might not exist uh, but i think if we ever see birch lore rangers uh, which allows you to tap elves for any color mana if we ever see that uh, reprinted in modern or uh, some similar elf show up i think this card just takes off like a rocket because once it's easy to cast back uh, once you don't have to distort your mana base to do it this card gets significantly stronger
0: yeah, I mean, LSV on stream um, didn't seem to have any trouble casting it. The the reality is you can play green-blue green, green blue lands um, without really diluting your mana base. You may take a, a shock point here or there, or, or you could take a pain hit here and there off something like Gavamaya Coast. But the reality is if you want to cast it, you can. Um, and I have many of the same feelings that you do about this card. I, I actually, looking back through my log, picked up 15 foils Um, during a star city games pre Christmas sale, uh, this past December at 99 cents a piece. Um, and looking at star city right now today, there is literally only one left in stock at $2. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think you're right that many of the components to make this card great already exist we're only one or two away from putting it over the top, at which point the foils have to be $10 plus cards and and the regular edition would fall into line at about half the the same cost.
1: Thanks. Glad to hear you like it.
0: (laughs) So my next pick from Shadows Over Innistrad is Traverse the Ulvenwald, um, a very interesting little green uh, sorcery that was revealed today. For one green, you search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, put it in your hand, then shuffle your library. No big deal. Uh, Relatively inefficient mana ramp card. However, if you have delirium, meaning that you have four or more card types in your graveyard, you instead search your library for a creature or a land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. So there's there's two points here um, on the powerful delirium uh, version of the card. One, you're not putting the card on top of your library. You're putting it straight into your hand, so it's a straight-up tutor. Uh, Two, you can get any land or any creature. So in the basic version, you're only getting a basic land, but in the Delirium version, you can get any land, which means maybe this card is something that lands wants in Legacy. Um, In Modern and in Legacy, it's relatively easy to hit Delirium because you're casting instant sorceries and using fetch lands pretty um, pretty routinely in the first few turns, so I don't actually anticipate it's going to be tough to power these up. It has also occurred to me that Delirium cards get especially good in coordination with cards like Snapcaster Mage or Jace Friends Prodigy, where you can cast them for their unpowered versions the first time and then later snap them back um, in their powered versions in the mid-to-late game. Um, being able to tutor for any land, any creature, is exactly the kind of effect I'm looking for as a long-term hold for modern and or legacy um i expect that this card will not have a home and standard right away and seeing as that that we're at more or less the end of modern season um you know the focus being off modern brewing right now it's entirely possible this card goes under the radar as other cards uh capture most of the value from the peak supply period for shadows over innistrad and i would think you'll be able to pick these up for a dollar maybe foils under five dollars and my target on the card, the, the regular edition, would be over five dollars, and for the foils, over ten. So I think there's some very good gains to be had on Traverse the Llanwald.
1: I I really like this card. Uh, I had to read it once or twice when it was spoiled earlier, but I I definitely I went to my Facebook chat and I said I think this card is real. Um, I, I especially like it in the standard Eldrazi deck because you start up, you start the game on turn one, you play your forest, and you cast this, and you go get a wastes. So that on turn two, you play your Wastes and then you can cast that like semi-Rampant Growth that is only Rampant Growth if you have Wastes in play. Um, so it has the ability to kind of turn on your Rampant Growth. You know Nobody wants to work for their Rampant Growth, but at least the options there. But then later on, once you get Delirium now, you can cast it and go fetch your uh Shrine of the Forsaken or go fetch your Ulamog or go fetch your Kozluck or something. So uh, it's a really useful tool for those Eldrazi style ramp decks and standard and maybe even modern where, you know, the front half of the card, maybe not quite powerful enough to earn a spot, but the ability to turn on the back half is excellent. So uh, I, I do really like this card.
0: Uh, side note. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been commenting on delirium that it's it's mostly a, a limited uh, limited mechanic, not so much for constructed. But I think people are underestimating the power level on some of these delirium cards we've seen thus far. And in standard, though it is certainly true that without fetch lands, it's harder to get lands in the graveyard. People need to understand that unless we get a really dynamic uh, uh, gap filling set of rare uh, dual lands in shadows, and we may well yet get that. Um, but so far it's looking like people are going to be playing a lot of evolving wilds. So there are going to be lands in the graveyard and it's also possible that because of madness, it's going to be, you know, just as easy to have different card types in the yard, if not easier than it was with fetch lands around. Um, especially since I expect Jace to be a big card and he's certainly good at putting, you know, any and all card types into the graveyard, whenever you need him to between him and the red black, you know, madness decks. Uh, I, I think delirium will actually be an achievable goal.
1: I don't think you're wrong. I think that Delirium is a lot like Delve. They're both mechanics that interact with the graveyard and counting cards in the graveyard. And we were very, every, we as a, as a community were very bad at understanding Delve. And I think we as a community may be very bad at understanding Delirium. Uh, it's just kind of difficult to understand how easy it is to get those four card types in the graveyard until you actually start playing the game and seeing when it happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the the diff- the the d- dividing line between good and bad delirium cards is going to be, you know, how decent is the the front end mode pre delirium. Um, so th- that should probably be the the way that people are evaluating. For instance, Deathcap Cultivator was revealed today. It's one in a green for a two one taps for black or green, so uh, a reasonable mana elf to replace uh, Rattleclaw Mystic uh, in standard. But with delirium, it gains Death Touch. Um, so, I mean, that, that's a card that is, uh, a, a great card early in the game to ramp out and a very solid top deck. If you're under pressure in the late game and you need to hold off something big.
1: Yep. I, I agree that the, the front half of the card is going to matter a lot on these delirium effects. Um, excuse me. All right. My next pick is, uh, is a short to mid, uh, with a confidence level of seven, probably closer to eight. I'm looking at Needle Spires and Hissing Quagmire from Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, this is the red, white, and the black, green creature lands, whatever you want to call them. Both are sitting at about a dollar, maybe a little less than that right now. Uh, I'm looking to get out on these uh, at least at five bucks. I could see them climbing higher. Uh, right now, these are just um, extraordinarily cheap for what they are. Compare the current Oath of the Gatewatch and Slash Battle for Zendikar creature land cycle to the original Zendikar cycle. Uh, I mean, you have multiple lands in that cycle. I think mean, really only Lava Claw Reaches is the only one that's not really any good at all. The um, Black red being a pretty tradition it, Lava Claw Reaches is just bad. But the rest were all playable and are all pretty expensive. And they were all multiple dollars in standard at the time. Needle spires and Hissing Quagmire are under a dollar. There's with how bad the mana bases are looking to be uh, in Shadows of Innistrad. It, without that rare cy- without a rare land cycle, these are going to be played pretty heavily. Black, green, and red, white tend to be uh, pretty pretty standard, um, const- stand- very common standard constructed color combinations. In fact, if you go back and look at the last several rare lands in these color combinations. They have all got to at least $10 or very close to it uh, at some point during their standard lifespan. So I would not be surprised to see both of these manage to pull that off at some point in the near future. Um, so it just with such a low cost of entry and people have, are going to be needing the play lands, uh, I think these are, are pretty, home, pretty home run.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I like them at a dollar. I like them even more if they go on sale somewhere in the in the summer lulls um, that we usually see on standard staples um, between, say, 50 and 75 cents. Or if I can arrange with a dealer to buy a bunch of them in bulk in that price range, because, you know, even Lava Claw Reaches is a $2 card. Stirring Wildwood is a $3 card. Uh, years after release that's not a huge gain but it still potentially gives you gives you something uh, establishes a floor and ensures that you're not going to lose money on this spec and you could potentially have you know a reasonable gain if a, if a deck uh, finds a reason to be playing these or a casual demand drives usage um, down the road. All right, so my next card for this evening is Mir Superion, specifically the foils, and I'm looking at both the uh, game day promos that go for about $10 as well as the regular foils where I see the most potential gain given that they're currently about $3. Um, my target on this card is $10 in the next couple of years. Um, there aren't all of that many foil Mir Superions sitting around. Um, this is a 5-6 for 2 mana creature. Um, an artifact creature Mirror, and the trick here is that you can only spend mana produced by creatures to cast Mirror Superior. Um, but I've been fooling around with a bunch of Bant flavored decks to combat the Eldrazi in Modern, and have found all sorts of interesting things you can do with Collected Company. Um, Collected Company is a friend to any creature that has a restriction on how it can be cast because it puts it into play for free for you. So cards like Mere Superion and Scab Ruinator start to get much more interesting when you're uh, putting them into play with Coco. Um, There's also already a couple of different options for um, using, say, Noble Hierarch or Birds of Paradise. Or uh, what's the green-red guy, Travis, that's a 2-2 that makes a red and a green when it comes into play?
1: Burning Tree Emissary.
0: Right. So Emissary can also put Mirror Superion into play. And we're only you know, a card or two away from all of that being good enough that a 5-6 for two being slid into play on the sly um, starts to look pretty interesting. There's also a, a possibility that we return to Mirrodin at some point in the not-too-distant future um and who knows what kind of mirror cards we get there that make this even better
1: yeah I, I did a double take when i saw this on the list because i spent about two hours today arguing with people about mirror superior today because of the current mtgo bug um but but this card is very curious uh there are a lot of ways to cheat it in the play you know aside from just the play noble hierarch and burning tree emissary plan you have things like semblance anvil which make it free there's Heartless Summoning, uh, we have Collected Company now, there's Court of Calling, so uh, eventually you gotta wonder if we're gonna hit a critical mass that will make this actually playable. Um, some other artifact spell that gets printed, I don't know. Uh, I will also point out that the German version of this card is called the uh, Ubermir. It's one of those cards that's got a really cool translation in a foreign language, so I would keep an eye out for those as well, and there's game day promos of this that are also pretty cool looking. I don't know the price off the top of my head, but they're about um, ten bucks. Worth ten bucks, okay? So they're okay, little pricey, but cool looking. Uh, All right, my last pick for today. uh, It's coming in with a confidence level of nine. Really like this, but it is a long term pick. Do not expect to make money on these uh, probably this year. Uh, It is wastes. In foil, the uh, collector's number 184. It's the, it's Coslex, uh waste. It's uh, the full art version from Oath of the Gate Watch. Uh, they're about $13 right now, and I'm looking for at least 25 on these. Um, as soon as the full art waste was spoiled, uh, there was discussion all over Twitter that the foil versions of these cards were going to be valuable, and they were going to be more valuable than you thought they were. Um, They ended up hitting the streets with Oath of the Gatewatch at about $10 or so. I did not buy in at that time because I was really hoping that they were going to start dropping before they went up, and they haven't. They have not dropped a dime. They have increased about $3 since Oath of the Gatewatch has uh, come out. And even in the last week, I've watched the TCG player low value on these start to tick up a little bit. Not remarkably so, uh, but we're not seeing prices drop. We're seeing them increase slowly. And if you look back at foil full arts from the original Zendikar set, I mean those range between twenty-five and forty. I think uh, Waste is a card that players are going to want for years to come. If we do see more copies of Waste anytime in the near future, they are going to not be full art. They are going to be standard land art. Uh, I think thirteen dollars is basically the cheapest this card is going to be for a long, a long time, unless something very dramatic happens. Uh, so I've, I have been, I've got about five or six of these by now, and I'm looking to just pick up, pick them up as fast as I can. Um, anywhere below $13, I want to own copies of this card because it's just, it's so solid and you're basically never going to lose money on this card. It's just one day they're going to be worth a bunch of money. And if you, if you sack away a hundred bucks in foil waste right now, they may buy you, well, I don't want to say they'll buy you a max, but they'll buy you something pretty in a few years.
0: Yeah, I mean, all it took for me to get on board this particular gravy train was when I opened my oath boxes and realized that I had barely pulled a handful of the full-art Kozileks non-foil, let alone a foil Kozilek um, art version. And in keeping with how rare these actually are, there's only about 60 or 70 copies of the these foils available online. And on TCG player, there's only about 20 or 25 below $15. So I think your $25 target is right on the mark. I think that it takes, you know, six to 12 months for most of these to dry up. And then we're going to see them hit, you know, a, a steady pace of about nineteen ninety-nine, And then with, you know, slow gains up into the $25 range, assuming that there are no further, um, Uh, printings that interfere. And there doesn't seem that that as you said, it's not likely that that would be the case. So uh, if you can get your hands on uh, foil versions uh, of this in foreign, especially Russian, Korean, Japanese, I think those all have legs. Um, If they see usage in uh, a relevant Eldrazi deck or colorless deck or for EDH purposes, there are all sorts of different tugs from the demand chain that will pull these the the price on these cards up up uh, the ladder, and you're going to get to the point where you'll be able to out these on Puka Trade in that twenty to twenty five dollar range and, and pocket your very tidy profits. So I, I'm well on board with this pick, Travis.
1: Yeah, and just I just want to point out that keep in mind that Aldrazi Displacer is a very legitimate card that is going to ha- make its impact felt in several formats, and you have to have colorless mana to activate that. And if you've got a deck that can fetch basics, waste counts. So we might see modern and even legacy decks occasionally running one or two of wastes as a, something to fetch for their Eldrazi Displacers, um, which would just put demand all over the place. So
0: Exactly. And, and, and the Eldrazi legacy deck is very, very real. I've seen enough of it now to know that there, there are at least two or three different versions that they are uh, relatively resilient to many of the solution cards in the format and uh, whether it's tier one or tier two, we are going to see Eldrazi decks, um, even once they're banned from modern. And certainly, Legacy is a format that, while fading, um, uh, the player base for that format is made up of people that are certainly interested in foiling out decks.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, no more wasting our time. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to segment three our Shadows of Innistrad. Spoiler discussion. Uh, I'm going to kick things off here uh, by saying, what the hell is wrong with all of you for buying Thing in the Ice at $20? Who <laughs> who bought this card? Who bought this card at $7, right? Like at $7, how is this the right decision? And then you people keep going until it gets to 20 It's like everybody collectively forgot that Reflector Mage is legal. Did you guys watch the last Standard event? There were like 30 Reflector Mages in the top eight or something. That card is bonkers, and your thing in the ice is going to look real embarrassing when you put the fourth trigger on it and your opponent collected companies in response and undoes all your hard work.
0: I'm more excited about this card in in Modern and Legacy, actually, where the the prevalence of zero-casting cost spells, Phyrexian mana spells, and Cantrips... Makes the likelihood of flipping it in a timely fashion uh, much higher. It also plays nicely with with uh, other cards that respond to the the playing of of instants and sorceries, um, and I think it's going to find a home. But you're absolutely right. First of all, it's a rare. If it was a mythic, maybe you convince could convince me that and Reflector Mage wasn't in Standard, maybe you could convince me that this price was reasonable uh, in the short term. But as a rare, there's no way that facing peak supply, you know, two weeks out from release of Shadows over Innistrad, that this card can hold even over $10. Like, this will be a $5 card by late April, mark my words.
1: Oh, yeah. And listen, when this card was spoiled, I hit my Facebook Messenger chat, and I was like, this card's real. This card is good. I was my fan. I am not a fan of $20. It's just the price is unreal. Okay.
0: Likewise, pretty much all of the Planeswalkers are overpriced in their usual fashion. Um, you know, if if you aren't uh, in tune with this, this theme yet, folks, um, Planeswalkers are always overhyped. They are always overpriced. And the odds of you being the guy that buys into the next Elspeth instead of the next... Uh, Narset enlightened master are relatively low, so don't subject yourself to that kind of pain.
1: Alright, James. Rank the new Sorin, Nahiri, and New Jace in order. Hmm. Are we Best talking first?
0: about are, are we talking about it in standard? Yeah. Okay. Uh so I think that the most likely to see play as a four of is none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually, uh, I think Soren is probably the top end of a black-white control deck, uh, similar to what Jeff Hoogland and I have been rocking in Standard uh, off and on during earlier parts of the season. But he's probably only a one or a two of in that deck. The Jace might be a two or a three of in some kind of blue-white or uh, blue-white-black uh, control deck. Um, the Jace is very powerful um Nahiri because she's in white uh doesn't play especially nicely with the other color requirements for madness which are grixis colors so she's a little awkward there and is probably going to end up as a one or a two of in um a Naya planeswalker build that uses Oath of nisa Gideon, um and various other planeswalkers to Uh, attempt to play some kind of uh you know super friends mid-range game um but i'm not seeing any 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 planeswalker that is is likely to become the next elspeth here
1: Hmm. no that's fair i i uh, i think soren is the best here and i mean clearly his power level has to be higher because he's at six instead of four but i really like soren he He draws you cards with upside, which currently I don't think anyone at four mana does. I mean, aside from like Mind Sculptor, right? Like, or at least in the current crop. Uh, Obnixilus at five, loses a life when you draw a card. Um, Jace is at five and he is draw a card with advantage, but it's fairly minor. It's scry two. Uh, Nailing people's life total when you draw with Soren just seems uh, extremely potent to me because now... Your opponents have to answer the constant stream of card advantage you're gaining from plusing him. And also, it's pressuring their life total. So the Soren player can concentrate on cleaning up their board and making sure nothing gets out of control while incidentally killing their opponent, uh, which is a great use of their resources. Uh, his his minus ability is also very powerful. His ultimates, whatever, who cares, you're just going to play him for his plus and his minus. So I think Soren, I don't think he's an Elspeth, but I think he's closer than people maybe be giving him. Credit for at first. Uh, again, all these these cards are ridiculous prices right now, so uh, it's not worth buying into any of them. But I do I do like Sorin the most, and if I had to pick, probably Nahiri second. But people always underestimate Jace, so I don't know.
0: So it's so it was actually pointed out to me on Twitter um, that Soarin matches up really well against Chandra Flame color, Um because if he comes down ahead of her, he can take up one. If she was played the next turn, the maximum damage she's going to do is six, so he would survive that. Um, if he comes down after her, he can use his second ability to clear her off the table. Um, so that's interesting. Um, but Travis, we've, we've actually missed the, the planeswalker that's most likely to be a four of here, um, which is LSV's reveal um, on Channel Fireball the other day of Arlen Cord, the uh, werewolf ah, planeswalker. I so, keep forgetting uh, about that. So at two red green uh, for a three loyalty Planeswalker, her plus one is until end of turn up to one target creature gains plus two, plus two Vigilance and Haste. Her zero ability is to put a two, two uh, into play and then flip. Uh, once she flips, her plus one is creatures you control get plus one, plus one and gain Trample until end of turn. Her minus one uh, is that she gets to bolt something. And her minus six is you get an emblem that creatures you control have haste, and uh, this creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player by tapping. So that is not only a a startling array of mid-rangey abilities, um, generating creatures, powering up a creature to attack and then block in the same turn cycle, um, pumping up creatures for an alpha strike, clearing off threats or finishing someone off, but the casting cost is right at four, and it's in colors that are likely to be able to stall out the board and make it harder to attack.
1: Yeah, I keep forgetting this card is in the set. Uh, the, this card is somewhere on the scale between solidly playable and far and away best card in the format. And I it's really difficult to figure that out right now. There is so much text on this card, and I feel like at any given time, you as the opponent have to be playing around four different abilities Uh, based on what your opponent's going to do this card is is tricky to keep up with so you know time will tell where this falls on that scale but uh, it's definitely at least playable Uh, i guess the question is is it a Xenagos the reveler uh or is it a elspeth sun's champion and and we'll just have to wait and see um but that is a good card
0: i I think Xenagos is is an excellent uh parallel um and I think it's interesting to point out that Arlen has many of the same benefits of Xenagos. I mean, she can't ramp mana, but she can drop two twos. And it's gonna be an interesting skill testing card because deciding when to flip her and to gain access to the other abilities, given that you can't flip her back, uh is going to be is going to have a lot of play to it. Um but it's interesting. The lightning how the... bolt flips her. Oh, does it flip her back? Oh yeah, you're right. It does yeah. flip her back. So yeah, there's a lot of play there. And it's also interesting that she, in the same way that Sorin lines up nicely against Chandra, Arlen can line up nicely against Gideon. So they, they, Gideon, make a 2-2. You, Arlen, uh, pump up your creature, attack into Gideon. They're forced to block with the 2-2 to stop it. Your, your creature had vigilance and haste, so it's sitting back to block if they try to counter and take out Arlen. Um, all sorts of interesting play patterns there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be really curious to see how this plays out. And uh, she will put uh, definite upward pressure on the value of any red and good red and green cards floating around that might otherwise be overlooked at the moment. Uh, I, I, I want to jump off Planeswalkers really quick because there's a few things I wanted to talk about. I, I do want to make a point of saying Eerie Interlude. Uh, that is a card that was spoiled real early on uh people have mostly forgot about it at this point. I think we originally saw it like February, February 15th. So almost a month ago now, uh, it was revealed as part of the um Angels versus Demons. No, Divine versus Demonic. One of those two. One of them was the old one, whatever the new one is. Uh, this card is, I don't get to say this very often, strictly better than Ghost Way. And uh strictly better in that it's the exact same cost. It's both an instant they do the exact same thing, except that Ghost Way forces you to uh bound to exile all your creatures and your interlude chooses which creatures you get to exile. But uh Ghostway is hanging around like ten bucks right now after it showed up as a potential um Modern combo piece with Eternal Witness, uh, allowing you to loop it uh, essentially every turn. And Eerie, Liner, Eerie Interlude is just, with so much other stuff going on in this set, uh, Ghost is just going to get crushed in price, while Eerie Interlude is going to hang above probably a dollar to two. So uh, I would not want to be holding any Ghost Ways right now, especially because I, I mean, I'd even be selling my personal sets because um, what are the odds you're going to play for Eerie Interlude before you play your first Ghost Way?
0: Yep. Exactly. I, I, I was getting out of those on Puka Trade mid-late last year. I'm happy to be out of that position. Um, so there's a couple other interesting things um, that have been a little under the radar. Um, at first, people were really excited about this card, Harness the Storm, um, and now seem to be a little more muted about it. So for everybody's uh, edification, Harness the Storm is two in a red for an enchantment that states... Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, you may cast target card with the same name as that spell from your graveyard. So if you cast Lightning Bolt and you have a Lightning Bolt in your yard, um, you can cast the Lightning Bolt too. It's worth noting that you don't cast the second copy for free. You still have to have the mana to cast the other one. So th- this means that you know doubling up on cruel ultimatums is not going to be happening. Um, but for low casting cost spells, this is still relatively interesting. Um, a little janky, but keep in mind there was another card that was kind of quietly revealed that hasn't really been talked about much, um, that's a common, called Pieces of the Puzzle for two and a blue. It's a sorcery. Reveal the top five cards of your library, put up to two instant and/or sorcery cards from among them into your hand and the rest in your graveyard. So that's a reasonable amount of card selection to set up some kind of blue-red spell-based deck. Uh, whether the re- remaining amount of support uh, exists in standard, uh, I have no idea whether uh the uh, uh, harness the storm could be put to use in some kind of storm uh based deck since it's obviously where the what the name is alluding to. Uh, in, say, modern or in casual circles or in EDH. I have no idea. But it's definitely the kind of card that will end up on my pick list at some point when it hits 50 cents or a dollar and everybody's forgotten about it uh, on the premise that this is exactly the kind of thing that gets broken five years later um, and people can't remember what the card even does.
1: Yeah, it's a very curious card. Uh, Everyone is real excited and then they notice that you have to pay for the spell and they suddenly got a lot less excited. It's interesting with uh, Rituals. Um, you know you can cast the first the first rituals in your graveyard you cast the second one you then pay for the other one in your graveyard and now suddenly you have a ton of mana and then you can do it again so uh you know some potential use utility there it's it's hard to say exactly uh, how useful this may or may not end up being but i agree that it is a very curious card um that that may grow considerably in value my my only frustration with this is that it's virtually useless in edh so you lack that entire demand profile uh similarly i want to draw attention to another card that i haven't really seen anyone talk about that's a declaration in stone that is the two mana white sorcery uh let me find it again for you uh it's two mana white sorcery exile target creature and all creatures it's controller controls that have the same name uh, and then they get to investigate for each creature you nailed. So this means if your opponent has two or three creatures, two two creatures with the same name in play, you get a two for one for two mana. And if you're lucky enough that they have three or four in play, you just get to laugh all the way to the bank. Yeah, they get a bunch of clue tokens, which isn't uh, meaningless, uh, but it's definitely, I mean, you're probably going to cast this card and then just try and kill them on the spot with your attack. So I don't think you're worried about that too much, but two mana, unconditional exile removal. The only bummer here is that it's a sorcery in and not instant. Uh, I think this is going to be played pretty heavily as we progress here, especially since it exiles. Um, you know, if you can pick, if these come out of the gate at like 30 or 40 cents, you know, 50 cents, they might be worth snagging a few copies because we remember the hero's downfall was like $10. So there's a lot of room for declaration in stone to grow uh, in price if it's good.
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if declaration in stone is the kill spell that potentially becomes hero's downfall, or if the one we should be talking about is to the slaughter, um, and black instant for two and a black, where a target player sacrifices a creature or planeswalker, um, not a p- particularly impressive mode. But if you can turn on delirium, then they sacrifice a creature and a planeswalker. Um, there are very few things I would rather be casting the turn after Arlen or Gideon hits the the table, then cleaning up their token and the Planeswalker. Um, It remains to be seen whether Delirium can be easily supported enough um, to make the second mode turn on frequently, Um, but I've certainly got my eye on that one. Uh, Another card that I'm looking at uh, longer term is uh, Rattle Chains. Uh, 2-1 Flying Spirit for 1 and a blue. It's got Flash, uh, and when Rattlechains enters the battlefield, target spirit gains Hexproof until end of turn, and you may cast spirit spells as though they had Flash. One of the interesting things here is that spirit decks have largely lacked two drops up to this point, so this fills a gap in the casual market. Uh, And I don't think that there's going to be enough spirit support in this set um, to make this uh, a a major uh, uh, card for financial purposes probably going to hit bulk 50 cents to a dollar midsummer pick up 50 or 60 copies and stash them away until a spirit deck is good someday
1: uh i am extremely lukewarm on rattle chains but i will not begrudge you your pick
0: one of the downsides uh what's the spirit you would most like to give hexproof to if it didn't already have it uh guys of Saint exactly
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah so oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly the point. Um, and as for to the slaughter, I agree, that card uh, is I think I think you're absolutely right. It's like it's that or declaration in stone. One of those is the premier removal spell. It's just going to take some time to figure out which not as obvious as hero's downfall might have been. Um, well the thing about
0: both both of those is it's not clear that they're even the premium removal spells. It's entirely possible that grasp of darkness at common and ultimate price also at common are the spells that are going to be three to four of's in every deck that can cast them. I mean, Grasp of Darkness takes care of almost everything, including the new Avacyn. Um And so does Ultimate Price. Uh, Ultimate Price was sidelined during the, you know, the days of uh, multicolored dragons and Siege Rhino and Savage Knuckleblade and, and uh, Mantis Rider because it was just so useless against the top threats in the format. But now that we're going to decks that are probably one to two colors max, um, Ultimate Price gets a lot better.
1: Mike, you're you're absolutely right. My concern with ultimate price, though, is that it does stone nothing against Eldrazi decks, because even the ones that cost colored mana are devoid. So ultimate price is just the deadest of dead cards in a matchup that is likely to be very important. Uh, So we'll see how that shakes out. And while we're talking about removal, I want to mention Anguished Unmaking, which is basically the new Vindicate. Uh, that card I don't think is as good as people think it is. Everyone wants Vindicate to be legal and modern. Uh, They've been asking for that for a while. Uh, Without the land clause, the ability to exile lands, I'm really underwhelmed by this card. It's two colors, which means that it's not going to be nearly as pervasive as it might have been at one color, and that three life is not insignificant. So it's not a bad card, but I think this is a lot closer to something like a Maelstrom Pulse, uh, than it is like a path to exile. Uh, and the price should react accordingly. I'm just not anticipating this being some ex- extraordinarily important and expensive removal spell in multiple formats.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can get with all of that. The The reality is that, you know, Maelstrom Pulse uh, foils go for somewhere around $15 or $20. So, um, and I think that Uh, There are a lot of cases where Maelstrom Pulse um, is better because it can clean up uh, multiple tokens, it can clean up multiple copies of the same card. Um, However, there is a downside to Pulse that is answered uh, by this new card, and that's the fact that it's instant speed. So against decks uh, like uh, Tron... Uh, and decks that are trying to combo off, the ability to remove pretty much anything that's not a land at instant speed uh, definitely has play to it. And there are at least two decks that would consider playing it in modern uh, between the various junk builds and black-white tokens, um, where Anguished Unmaking could definitely make an appearance as a one or a two of. So if I see foils, you know, under $10 or the game, you know, um, unfortunately the game day promo art isn't particularly great, but uh, if the, the pack foils, um, are to, you know, reason to fall to a reasonable level, um, sometime in the next few months, then it'd be definitely something I'd, I'd be looking to pick up a few copies of.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Uh, we could do this all night long, but we are, uh, easily pushing an hour again and I'm sure our listeners are sick of you and I making up things about standards. So we should, we should put this to bed. Uh, James Chilcott, where can our fans find you?
0: You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com.
1: All right. And again, I'm Travis Allen. You can find me every Wednesday on MTG Price. Uh, I am also occasionally on Cartel Aristocrats, the web podcast. And I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin' B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, that wraps up our eighth, eighth, eighth show, eighth or ninth, ninth. show? Ninth, number ninth, number nine, show. big
0: number nine. Oh, all right.
1: <laughs> all right. Uh, I had a great time again, James. Uh, thanks for joining me.
0: I really enjoyed our discussion and we'll check you next week, Travis. <laughs>